Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Tuesday, August 9th, 2022. Hello, everyone. It's Shannon back with you for another Tuesday morning episode. I want to ask you ahead of time to forgive me if I cough a little bit during this episode. My partner and I, after two and a half years of avoiding it, did manage to get COVID last week. So we are definitely on the mend. But having, you know, a few lingering effects. So I will try very hard not to cough. But if I do, that's why. Anyway, hello. I hope all of you are doing well, reading great books. I am here to share an interview this week with author Christy Woodson Harvey. We talk about her 2022 release, The Wedding Veil. And she also shares writing tips and some of her kind of adventures um, during the pandemic, writing and figuring out how to stay sane. Then I'll be back to talk with you about this week's new books. So let's get into the housekeeping information and then we'll get started. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am talking with author Christy Woodson Harvey about her latest novel, The Wedding Veil which will be releasing in the U.S. on March 29th. Christy, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Shannon. This is great. I'm glad to be here. You are super welcome. Could we start out with a brief introduction to The Wedding Veil so that listeners have a little bit of an idea what to expect? Yes, absolutely. So um, The Wedding Veil is actually my first historical contemporary novel. It was very fun to write. Um, And it's about four generations of women who are bonded by um, a wedding veil that we that we learn a little bit about in the book. And so in the present day, we have um, a story about a grandmother and granddaughter, um, Babs and Julia. And Babs is actually getting ready to walk down the aisle at her wedding. And her grandmother is putting this sort of faded family wedding veil on her head And as it's about to sort of go on her head, Julia kind of panics and realizes that she is not going to make it in this marriage. And if she um, if she walks down the aisle and gets married, she is actually going to be the one to sully the name of the family wedding veil. So she is sort of a runaway bride and Babs drives the getaway car and. Um, what's interesting is that both of these women have some really big decisions to make about their lives that are not popular with um, some of the women around them. So they're, you know, obviously in very different generations, but making some um, sort of similar decisions about you know, the next chapter of their life. And then in the historical part of the story, we have um, Edith and Cornelia Vanderbilt, who are the um, real life first um, mistress and daughter of Biltmore in Asheville. And the story opens when George Vanderbilt, um, who built Biltmore House, passes away, sort of he has an untimely death. And Edith is left a very young widow and her daughter is only 13 years old. And they decide that they're going to have to band together to not only save this house through some sort of dire straits, but also to preserve George Vanderbilt's legacy. 
And that is all well and good until they start to have differing ideas about what the future is going to look like. And then at the center of these two stories is um, this heirloom veil that ends up connecting all of these women. I love multi-generational stories, and I also love dual timeline books that move, you know, back and forth between periods of time. So well, this I'm glad is, to hear that because yes, this, that means this will be a good book for you. <laughs> yes, this will be like right in sort of that like sweet spot of actually of this podcast, like not just so much for me, but for a lot of the women um, on my team who who present. So this is definitely one that we will have to check out. So you mentioned that this was your first sort of con- uh, historical contemporary. Can you um, talk a little bit about kind of what you've written in the past and then what sort of inspired you to write this type of book? Yes. Um, so this is actually my ninth novel. And um, my first two were standalone sort of contemporary fiction. And then I have a Peachtree Bluff series, which is actually in development with NBC for a TV show right now. So that's really fun. Ooh. And I've been working on the script for that a little bit. Um, and then I had another two standalones called Feels Like Falling and Under the Southern Sky. And so um, this was actually not a book I was planning on writing. I definitely have my I will say my second book lies in other acts of love. I guess it was technically partially historical, but it wasn't about real historical figures. You know, it was ah. partly in a historical time period, but I didn't even really think of that when I was writing it, to be honest, because it wasn't, a, it wasn't based on real people. So, um, it was a, it was a very different thing, you know, than, than trying to write, uh, or trying to fictionalize to real women, um, yes. which, which is what I did in this story. But so actually the way that I came to the story is sort of, it's sort of a long story and it evolved over a few years, but I had some other historical novels that I definitely, you know, had in the back of my mind and some other things that I wanted to work on. And so in 2018, um, I live on the coast of North Carolina and we evacuated for a hurricane to Asheville. We were like, let's just get as far away from this hurricane as we can because it was sort of going to be throughout the state. And our son at the time was six years old and he had never been to Biltmore and I thought, you know, this is the perfect time. We're going to pretend that we're on vacation and we'll go to Biltmore and we'll do all these kind of fun things. And um, it was the first time that I had been there, I guess maybe definitely as a mother. Like I'd been there as an adult, but I had not been there, you know, in a, in a little while. And it was the first time that it really struck me how young Edith Vanderbilt was when her husband died and how very much she had to take on in the wake of his death. Um, specifically and that most of his fortune was tied up in trust for his daughter Cornelia and she didn't receive it until she was 25 and she was 13 when he died and so I just became really interested in how you know she managed to keep up the largest home in America with you know not not tons and tons of money to do so I mean you know this is a time before women can even vote I mean this is nineteen right so you know, this is a long time ago. She couldn't just pull herself up by her bootstraps and go get a job or, you know, whatever. It was it was a very different thing. And so I went home. You know how when you're um, <laughs> you're you're at any sort of like tourist attraction, you go to the gift shop and you're like, I'm going to get all these things. And then you go home and you're like, why did I get all these? Why things? did I buy these? <laughs> <laughs> this painting of the llama that is the mascot does like not have any practical application to my life. <laughs> um but I went home that day armed with, you know, books about Biltmore just because I was interested and I wanted to learn more. And so I started researching um, novels about Edith Vanderbilt. And I was so shocked that no one had written a book about her before. And I kept saying, someone needs to write a book about her. Someone needs to write a book about her. So fast forward, um, probably another 18 months. And I mean, I really hadn't even thought about that again. Um, it was kind of a, you know, a fascination. I was still interested in it, but it wasn't something that was like really on my mind. And my cousin was getting married and I'm back in the mountains, funnily enough. And my husband's family has this beautiful heirloom wedding veil that um, my sister-in-law had sort of passed to me when my husband and I got married. And we thought it would be fun if like best friends and other family members and just, you know, people that we really loved in our lives all wore this like really beautiful wedding veil. And so we started, you know, sort of passing it to other people that that we, you know, loved and sort of wanted to be connected to on this day. And so um, I was actually putting this veil on my cousin's head. And I said something like, 
you know, isn't it cool that this veil connects us to all of these women, you know, many of whom we'll never even meet. And it was like sort of one of those lightning bolt moments where I was like, that's a book. Yes. And so I called my agent the next day and I was like, I have my next book idea. It's called The Wedding Veil and it's going to be about this heirloom veil and all the women who have worn it. And she was like, oh, I love that idea. And she said, but what if you write about a real historical wedding veil? And I kind of like almost rolled my eyes because I was like, yeah, I mean, what are the chances that I'm going to find a historical wedding veil worn by a woman that I'm so interested in that I want to spend a year researching her life? And so a few weeks later, I was um, just home one night and I was um, just like up and the house was quiet and I was just thinking and I re- I just Googled Edith Vanderbilt wedding veil. I don't know what made me do it. It was just a total whim. And Woo. a story popped up about a veil worn. It was made of Edith's grandmother's lace and it was worn by her mother, her three sisters, Edith, her daughter, Cornelia, and then it disappeared. And I was like... Oh. Sometimes the stories write themselves, you know? Yes, they're, they're just waiting. <laughs> they're just waiting. So um, anyway, it's sort of the long story of how it came to be. But um, but yeah, that's the story of the wedding veil. So I'm guessing that you had quite a bit of research to do, at least for the historical components of this, since not only were you setting this in a historical time period, partially, but you were, as you say, trying to recreate people who actually existed. So what did you, what kind of research were you doing to sort of get a feel for the women that you were writing about historically? Well, I have to tell you this, this book almost didn't exist because um, I, I tour a lot and I was, you know, on tour for, um, what was my book that just came out? I guess maybe the Southern side of paradise, but um, I had just gotten back from, I did like this little mini tour. It was like post publication, but this mini tour all around California with a bunch of author friends and, um, met my family in Colorado to go skiing and flew home on March 9th, 2020 to start working on my new Whoa. Home. Yes. yes. Um, and you might kind of remember what happened next. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so my plan had been, you know, I had pitched this book. I had sold this book. Like this was, you know, I was pretty committed to this book, but, I thought, I can't do this. Like, there's no way I can do this. I'm, you know, I'm sitting in Beaufort, North Carolina. The world is completely shut down. I had planned on how I was going to, you know, buy my annual pass to Biltmore and I was going to be there all the time. And I'd already sort of talked to librarians in different towns in North Carolina who could sort of help me recreate, you know, pieces of the story. And um, obviously none of that was going to happen. And so I had this moment of like, I'm going to go back to my original plan. I'm not going to write about these women. I'm just going to, you know, make this a contemporary novel. But um, I had done so much reading at that point about Edith in particular. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to see what I can find. And before I really make this big decision. And so um, I had read pretty much every single book that I could get my hands on about, you know, Biltmore or the Vanderbilts. And then, um, you know, I just, I, I went to my newspapers.com account and I, I joke, but I almost kind of mean it when I say that I think I've read any time that the words Edith Vanderbilt or Cornelia Vanderbilt have ever been in a newspaper article ever. <laughs> <laughs> so I felt like in that way, you know, that sort of helped me to piece together like kind of who they were and their stories and what their lives looked like on a day to day basis. And of course, you know, the books that I read helped and there was definitely some some rock star librarians who helped me from afar to be able to, you know, fact check things and find things that I was looking for. Um, And so I started to really get this feeling of the story that I wanted to write. And I thought, you know, I really I think the story that I want to tell begins when George Vanderbilt dies and it ends um, in 1934 when something happens that I'm not going to tell you because it will ruin the end of the book. But um, if you know the history, you probably know what it is, but probably most people don't. So I'm not going to tell it. But um, but I really started to think, OK, that's my story. And of course, like there are, you know, um, flashbacks and pieces of their childhoods and, you know, things scattered all about throughout this book. But, you know, it's not a biography. It's it's a novel. Right. So I wanted to right. tell a very specific story. And in some ways, it actually helped me because I felt like I had enough to to work with. And I sat down and I wrote my first draft. And by the time I was finished, the world was opening enough, 
like a little bit, like enough that I could actually, you know, go to Biltmore and I could go to some of these places in real life and, you know, talk to experts and do interviews and that kind of thing. But at that point, I was almost more like fact checking. And some of the something that I found really interesting is, you know, with very famous people during this time period, there's no truth, right? There's like 11 different versions of every story. Yes. Um, and that was something that I didn't really expect. But, um, but so that was something that I really thought, okay, well, I can go now and I can sort of fact check what I can. And, um, and then I was like, I got these really great glimpses and anecdotes and stories about these women that, you know, I wouldn't have been able to just find by reading newspaper articles. And so I think that it, it enriched the story a lot at that point, but I at least had a framework. So I knew what I was looking for and what I needed to move forward. One of the things I like best about historical novels, especially those that do feature real people, but I guess largely even those that don't, is that it gives you a glimpse into a time period that, you know, has passed. Like we will never truly know what it was like to live in 1914. Like there's just no way we can know that. But through so many books, we can at least, you know, get like a certain amount of, of understanding and sort of like the next best thing to actually living through something. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, um, I think for me, that was, you know, definitely a lot of my research um, was into the time period. And, you know, I went back and read, you know, Edith Horton novels, you know, things that, um, that and, and that was actually like a whole rabbit hole in and of itself. Because one of the first things I found out was that Edith Horton and Edith Vanderbilt were friends. And so I went on this like week long oh. rabbit hole of researching everything about Edith Horton. And then she's in like two lines of the book or something. <laughs> But yeah, but you're so right. But there were some interesting echoes. I mean, obviously, in the period of 1914 to 1934, there was a world war going on. There was a pandemic. Um, yeah, so that was pandemic. interesting, like writing about a pandemic while living in a pandemic. Um, and then it's not featured terribly prominently, but you can't write about that time period without writing about World War One and the Spanish flu. And certainly not with these women who... Um, you know, really took up this cause and were so involved in the Red Cross. And I mean, Edith was incredibly involved in the war effort in a way that was um, probably a little bit unusual for a woman of her time. So there was a lot of interesting fodder and subject matter there. But yeah, you're right. I mean, trying to reconstruct that period and even just little things of like, um, you know, you're you're so Obviously, again, this is fiction, but I want it to be as I wanted it to be as authentic as it could possibly be. But then there would be things that all of a sudden I would be reading the book for the 10,000th time and I would be like, oh, my gosh, like, but did they have coat hangers then? You know, like things that we don't even think about that are such an they're not even important or relevant to the story, you know, but like if something's hanging in a closet, did they have a coat hanger? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like how how would that be? And there are people who who know these things. And so if you write it and you say, oh, I'm going to say, you know, that they did. Then somebody will be like, well, you know, actually, I know. Well, and the funny thing is, too, like my other lies and other acts of love that was that I wrote that was, you know, historical time period, but not real people. Um, somebody emailed me and was like, but there's no way that she could have done this. And it was something specific about UNC Chapel Hill, where I went to college and like women weren't admitted and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, those are the things that you just have to let go. But I wanted to email it back and be like, here is like, you know, from, you know, person high up at Chapel Hill who told me exactly and sent me the press release from, you know, 1931 when this happened or, you know, whatever it is, but you just have to let it go. Cause you're like, okay, it's fine. It's fine. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there are things I got wrong. I will say I was really fortunate and this was another, there were so many little things along the way that just felt kind of fateful about this novel. And one of them was that I was on my tour for Under the Southern Sky and um, my manager was there and she raised her hand in the audience and was like, can you tell everybody about what you're working on now? And I was like kind of irritated at her for saying that because I really hadn't talked about the wedding veil yet. And I really wasn't like, I really didn't have my like beautiful prepared statement about it, but I started talking about it and what I was learning and what I was researching. And a woman came up to me after and was like, Oh, I used to work there. So if you need help, let me know. And 
you know, I'm like a good Southern girl who just assumes that when someone offers something like they don't really mean it, you should never take them up on it. And I was all over her. I was like, yes, like, yes, will you please help me? And so she, um, and again, I mean, all, all, any and all mistakes are my own and I take full responsibility for them. But she did, um, she did read this novel a couple of times and helped me fact check it, which was huge. That's awesome. I love that. So taking a page out of your your manager's book here, can you tell us anything about what we can expect next from you now that the wedding veil is almost in the world? Yes, you can. Um, so I have I just um, just got a two book contract, which is really exciting. So, you know, I know I definitely have two more books coming out. Um, but my 2023 novel is tentatively titled The Summer of Songbirds. Ooh, and I, I know that it was. Title. Excuse me. I love that title. I'm so glad. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. Well, I'm sort of, I feel like I'm like crowdsourcing it right now. Like, do people like the title? Do they not like the title? Um, I vote yes. Okay, well, I like it too. I think it's pretty, and I love alliteration. So that's always like a big thing for me. Um, But it is actually about a girl's summer camp. (laughs) And yeah, so it's about these three best friends who met at summer camp. And one of their aunts actually owns the camp. And um, so, you know, fast forward into the future and, you know, summer of 2020, we do not hear about summer of 2020. I'm not writing summer of 2020, but it has obviously been very difficult if you own a summer camp um, and we're not able to get, you know, any help or funding, um, you you might have a hard time keeping your camp open. And so she's um, facing the struggle of trying to decide, you know, am I going to finally sell out to developers or am I going to try to keep this camp going? And so these three best friends sort of get together and decide that they're going to help her and they're going to save this camp. And um, that's kind of like the the bigger picture story that's going on in the middle, but sort of at the center of the story is the, the, I think the major conflict is that one of my protagonists is an attorney and she is the attorney for um, one of my other protagonists, fiancés. And so she finds out something about this man that um, her friend really needs to know, but is protected by attorney-client privilege. So she has to make the decision of whether she is going to tell her best friend and be disbarred. And she is a single mother of a four-year-old. So it's it's not just a big decision. It's like, not only are you putting yourself at risk, but you're putting your child at risk. Um, Or whether she lets lets her best friend in the whole world, who is more like her sister and who um, she shares some some secrets with that you kind of understand more as the book unravels um, why they have this really, um, you know, deep, more like sister kind of friendship. You know, is she going to let her sister for all intents and purposes marry this man? So um, that's kind of the major conflict, but I'm super excited about this book. And honestly, it was one of those things that um, I was, I guess it was the summer, maybe it was summer 21, because I don't think we could have done it in summer of 2020, but it might have been, no, it was summer of 21 um, when there there wasn't summer camp going on, but um, a camp near where I live that's like this very old sort of, you know, generational camp that people are just like very invested in um, had family camp so that, you know, all families could come and they could have their own cabins and you could go with friends or, you know, whatever you wanted, but it was a little more COVID safe. Um, and I had been thinking about, you know, in 2020, I was like, where do I want to go next? And what do I want to do? And I was like, man, if I could be anywhere right now, like I want to be at summer camp, like that's where I want to go back to. And so I'd started kind of working on this, you know, idea for this book. And then when I was at this camp at this family camp, it helped so much because I just felt like the walls were kind of speaking to me and all these stories from all these generations of women who had been to this camp were kind of coming out of the walls. And I mean, not, not literally, like I wasn't having like a, you know, hallucination event or anything I I was gonna say like that could either be like very like literary and cool or very kind of alarming and like delusional not not literally (laughs) not literally but it was just my my mind was racing with all the things that had happened you know in the walls of these cabins that had been here for you know yes like all the secrets they would know and secrets that's right (laughs) So um, anyway, it was a really fun book for me to write, and um, I'm kind of almost done with it. I was working on it this morning, and I'm heading out on the Wedding Veil tour on uh, March 29th, which is the day the book comes out, and I'm going to be on tour for like a month, and then I'll have a little bit of a break, and and then some other events, um, you know, 
throughout the spring and summer. So I hope I get to see lots of people on tour. So what what are book tours looking like these days? Like I know, you know, during the height of the pandemic, we had a ton of virtual events, which yeah. made me so happy because I could like go and, and hear authors speak that that you, you don't, know, don't to come to my right, that yeah. like wouldn't come to my part of the country. Right. Right. Um and so I'm curious now kind of what that looks like. Like are most tours going back to in person or are we still doing some virtual stuff? Like what, what do you kind of know yeah. about? So I've had like a super interesting experience because my book feels like falling came out like mid April of 2020. So that was like the very, I mean, I, my, I remember having a meeting with my like publishing house and them saying, we're just going to be really honest. Um, this is the first book we're putting out during the pandemic. So like, we're all just going to work together and trying to figure out, I had a six week tour planned with like, I mean, umpteen million stops. I don't even remember how many, but you know, 40 or something. And, um, that day it all had to go virtual. Cause obviously, I mean, that was when we were truly like, I mean, right. I was not going to the grocery store. Like I was, you know, so, yes. um, but then by the time Under the Southern Sky came out in April of 21, it was interesting because we, you know, you have to plan. I mean, we plan these tours like six or seven months in advance at least. So we had to plan the whole tour like I was going to go on it. And then, of course, you know, things started kind of dropping out. But it was weird because it was like in some parts of the country, COVID was raging and terrible. But in the south where I live, the numbers were really great at the time that Under the Southern Sky came out. So I ended up being able to do this kind of like small um or smaller in real life tour. It had maybe like 10 stops or something and they were all in the South and I drove the whole time. I didn't get on any airplanes, but I did a ton of virtual events too. So anything that was like, you know, up North or on the West coast or anything that I couldn't drive to, you know, we did virtually. So, um, so that was kind of an interesting hybrid. And then the same thing for Christmas and Peachtree Bluff came out in October and it was the same thing. It was like in some places COVID was raging and some places the numbers were really, really good. And so we were trying to like pick apart this tour. Um, and by that point I had sort of, you know, thought, okay, let's kind of keep it a little bit of a smaller tour. And by this tour, I was like, if I can't drive there, let's just not put it on the schedule. <laughs> ah, okay. We had planned and canceled so many tours at that point that I was like, I just can't deal with the like planning and canceling. And, and it's, you know, it's anxiety producing because you're like, you know, some people are like, of course we have to cancel. And then some people are like upset with you because you canceled. And, you know, so I was like, I just don't have anything I have to cancel. So my tour this time is mostly in the South, but I do feel like it probably could have been all over the place. Like the things throughout the summer are more, you know, like Midwest and, um, up north and regions that I have not been able to go to the past couple of years just because everything's been so bad. So I'm hoping for the best. Um, but you know, the, the first, the first month is North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida, maybe Virginia. So it's all places that I am actually flying to Florida because I, you know, I feel fine. I mean, I, the numbers, right. Are you, Yes. But I wouldn't have had to. I could have driven if I had to. So that was kind of the plan. That was a long answer, but it's just been a funny evolution. Um, and I do have a couple of virtual events, um, but not a ton because the um, the demand has not been as high. And I think, you know, doing two or three like really good virtual events kind of covers your audience that really wants a virtual event at this point. Right. I, I can see that. I think that would make a lot of sense. I know here in the Midwest, um, I live in Michigan, and we had just such high numbers, like even, you know, after Christmas, yeah. like in the first part of, of this year, and oh, they're finally coming down to a place where, you know, you don't feel quite so, like, concerned every two seconds, yes. um, but it's just... I think it's it's so hard to know when you're it's planning a roller coaster. any kind I know. of a, it's like is yes. it finally over like I really hope it's over and then you know you you look at things I mean just like what you said I mean there were some things that I had planned kind of middle of the year and I thought oh this is great like you know everything's um everything's calming down and you know we'll be able to do all these things and then you know, a week later, it was like some town I was supposed to go to and the like headline of their newspaper was like a tsunami of COVID-19. And I was like, okay, well, we're not oh. going to go there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not time to go there quite yet. <laughs> um, but hopefully, you know, this is all behind us. I'm hoping this is like a story that we're telling and, and not something that we're actually living through. But 
you know, and then I think at some point, um, I really felt like, especially on my under, I mean, my Christmas and Peachtree Bluff tour in October, like everywhere was, you know, my, I started to be concerned too, because I was like, if I'm going to go out on the road and do all these things, are people going to come? And people definitely were like, it it was like old days, you know? So I, I think people were, felt comfortable. And, you know, I think at some point people are just like, okay, we're going to do our best and be responsible as responsible as we can, but we've also got to kind of like get back to some normalcy. So I'm glad that the numbers are good right now and, you know, hopefully they'll stay that way. Yes. That would be the best. Like if they could stay down at like a manageable level, um, I think, you know, that will help like in so many ways going forward. Yeah. So my last question for you before we kind of wind down is what have you read lately that you want the world to know about? Oh, that's a good question. Um, That's funny. I actually wrote two blurbs this morning. So this is a really good time to ask me. So I just um, read Guilt by Jamie Brenner, which comes out in June. Oh, I love Jamie Brenner. Yes. Um, It was so, so good. And she is actually coming here to North Carolina and gonna, we're going to do a couple of events together in my um, hometown, which will be really fun. Um, awesome. I'm to see her. But I love this book. Like I really, I can't say enough great things about it. I love Jamie. I've, you know, gotten early reads of a lot of her books and I've always loved them and she's always been a favorite, but this is, um, I mean, I think this is her best book in my personal opinion. So that's always exciting. Um, and I also just read um, When We Let Go by Rochelle Weinstein, which was also just a wonderful, wonderful, like emotional novel. Um, I think that one comes out in May. So that one's like a little bit sooner. Yeah, I just saw that. Um, where did I see it? That's a great cover, too. Both of those books have great covers. I can't try to remember where I saw the the Weinstein book. I was looking at, I think I was looking at upcoming releases. I think I saw it listed there. Well, it's a great uh, book. Um, I loved it. So I'm excited. For awesome. It. But I've read, I mean, I think I've read so much lately, but um, I, and I'm like, what have I read that is on shelves? A Woman on Fire by Lisa Barr. I love her. That was a, a recent um really great pick of mine um oh I'm on hold for that at the library it looks very very good it's really good um and then the homewreckers by Mary Kate Andrews is coming out oh that's um, coming yeah in May and that one is great so I'm super excited for that as well as um Kristen Harmel's The Forest of Vanishing Stars will be out in paperback in May as well. And Patty Callahan Henry's um, Surviving Savannah will be out in paperback in April. So there's just a lot yes. of coming up. I um, will be talking to Patty in a couple of weeks um, for the podcast about Surviving Savannah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, um, yeah, I'm really excited for the paperback. And so we actually do a, a podcast and web show together, Mary Kay and Kristen and Patty and I, called Friends in Fiction. And, um, oh, you're part of Friends in Fiction. One of my um, my presenters was just talking to me about that. That yeah. like there's you know a like a group of authors, um, and she said she's like I can't remember like who they all are, but I know it's like Mary Kay Andrews and like and I can't remember who else it is. But yep. So we started um, in April of 2020, and just kind of on a whim, we were like, let's go live on Facebook, and we can talk to readers and. Um, then after we thought we would do it for seven weeks and then the world still wasn't open. So we started interviewing authors and um, gosh, we've had, I don't even know how many shows, 130 or something. And we have a, um, we have a new podcast that airs just on Fridays called the writer's Clock podcast. In addition to our Wednesday night live shows. And I think we're up to like, I don't know, 80,000 members across Instagram and Facebook or something, which is insane. So um, it's been a huge surprise. It's been so fun. Um, and we were actually in Savannah. We um, we got to headline the Savannah Book Festival, which was like just a total dream come true. Oh, wow. And um, and we were in Savannah. So we got to go to the Ships of the Sea Museum and film something special um, for Patty's paperback launch of Surviving Savannah. Ooh. So, um, yeah, so it was really fun. But they are 
they're all so great. And um, it's just been a real like surprise, not something that any of us thought that we would be doing, but we love it. And it's just been a great way to, you know, like you said, stay in touch with readers when we couldn't be on the road as much and um, kind of maintain that virtual component of being able to, you know, to reach out and touch our readers where they are like every day. And, um, and it's been wonderful. So it's a treat. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to chat with me and to let listeners know a little bit about you and your books and your process. Um, Can you let us know the best place to find you online? Absolutely. So my website is ChristyWoodsonHarvey.com and I'm K-R-I-S-T-Y. That's that's one that can be spelled a lot of ways, right? Um, And on Instagram, I'm at Christy W. Harvey and I'm Christy Woodson Harvey on Facebook. And those are the two that I'm most active on. So, All right. So again, this has been a discussion of The Wedding Veil, releasing in the U.S. on March 29th by Christy Woodson Harvey. All right. So we are here now to talk about new books. And there are a bunch of them. As always, I'm starting with some books that you've heard us talk about before. Um, One of them is actually one that was supposed to come out in July, but was moved to August. And then we have a bunch from our most anticipated releases of August episode. So I'm going to start with a book that uh, Kristen mentioned in our July episode. This is Storm Echo, Psy Changeling Trinity, book six by Nalini Singh. It was originally supposed to come out the last, either the third or the fourth week in July and was moved to August 9th. And so it is finally here. Now, moving on to books that were you know, originally slated to come out this week, we have I Remember You, which is the latest standalone thriller from Brian Freeman. Georgina talked about that one. I mentioned Are You Sarah by S.C. Lolly and You're Invited by Amanda Jayatissa. Both are thrillers out this week. Brooke mentioned Long Gone. This is Detective Annalisa Vega, book two by Joanna Schaffhausen. I am also really excited for this one. I love Schaffhausen's writing. And Stacy mentioned a romance. This is Mr. Perfect on Paper by Jean Meltzer, who wrote The Matzo Ball last year that Stacy and Sarah really liked. So now she is out with another contemporary romance. All right, so let's move on now to some books that you haven't heard us talk about before. I'm going to stick with some romances here to get us started. We have Mad About You by Mary McFarland, and this is two strangers who are brought together by a coincidence. Now, sometimes I think this can be annoying, like when it's just so coincidental, it feels kind of fake and contrived, but I have heard so much positive buzz about not only this book, but McFarland's writing in general, that this is one I am very willing to pick up, um, despite my general kind of mistrust of the whole coincidence trope. But this is Mad About You, and it's by Mary McFarland. We also have Luck and Last Resorts. This is by Sarah Grinder Ruiz. And this is, she came out um, earlier, this was either the beginning of 2022 or the end of 2021. Um, She wrote Love, Lists, and Fancy Ships. But now we are here with Luck and Last Resorts. And this is about a woman who is a stewardess on a high-priced yacht and how she finds love where she least expects it expects it. So this is Luck and Last Resorts by Sarah Grunder Ruiz. And if you want a historical romance, you might want to check out this Beauty and the Beast retelling. This is Beauty and the Thief, 
Royal Saboteurs, Book One by Shanna Galen. This is about a con man and a secretary who are tasked with carrying out a mission for a covert organization. And of course, we have some Beauty and the Beast kind of, you know, vibes here. Um, Shanna Galen just writes so many fantastic historicals from her um, Covent Garden series to a series um, Survivors Club about a group of men who survived the Napoleonic Wars. Just so many great, great things. So I'm excited for this one. It is Beauty and the Thief, Royal Saboteurs, Book One by Shanna Galen. And if you're looking for historical fiction, not historical romance, I have a few things to tell you about. We have After the Silence by Jessica Gregson. And this is set in Russia during the winter of 1941. And it is about a group of musicians who come together to put on a concert during this brutally cold and just terrifying winter during World War II. So this is After the Silence, and it's by Jessica Gregson. We also have Midnight on the Marne by Sarah Edlaka out this week. This is an alternate history taking place. Um, it starts in World War One, and then we, we follow our characters through times after World War One, and this is where the alternate timeline kind of comes into play. Um, we follow a resistance fighter and two men that she meets. Um, Sarah Edlaka wrote She Wouldn't Change a Thing last year, which I really enjoyed. Another kind of like re-examining, you know, how you could do things over if you got the chance. Um, this one is a little different because it plays with time, you know, in, under a different set of circumstances. But I am looking forward to this one. It is Midnight on the Marne by Sarah Edlaka. We also have The Orphans of Mercy House by Marty Wingate. Um, this is kind of a gothic novel, at least that's the impression I get from the synopsis. It is centered around this old house, which is being lived in by a group of lodgers. And some of these lodgers are pretty mysterious, but that's okay because the house itself is mysterious. And it has secrets of its own that these lodgers um, should probably know if they're going to live there. This is The Orphans of Mercy House by Marty Wingate. Then we have The War Librarian. This is by Addison Armstrong. I am super excited about this, as is Stacy. Um, Addison Armstrong wrote The Lights of Luna Park a couple of years ago, and she's now back with a novel of voluntary librarians, so a group of volunteer librarians during World War I. And this is like everything that I've been waiting for since I first saw the name of this book without the synopsis. I've been anticipating it. Um, it is fantastic that it's finally here. It is The War Librarian by Addison Armstrong. All right, so let's talk about a couple of thrillers, mysteries, you know, all that good suspenseful stuff. Lisa Jewell has a new book out. This is The Family Remains, The Family Upstairs, book two, again, it's by Lisa Jewell. The Family Upstairs was a very twisty book that came out a couple of years ago um, about kind of a, a commune. I'm interested to see what she plans to do in the second book because usually her books don't, like she doesn't usually do series. So given how the family upstairs ended, I'm curious to see, you know, where we go from here. This is The Family Remains, The Family Upstairs, book two by Lisa Jewell. We also have Girls Without Tears. This is by T.L. Finlay. It is set in the Florida Everglades, and we deal with a missing child and a serial killer on the loose. 
Um, hopefully the serial killer doesn't have anything to do with the missing child, although given that this is a book, I'm guessing that's not the case. This is Girls Without Tears by T.L. Finlay. We also have the new Megan Golden book this week. She wrote um, The Escape Room and The Night Swim. This is her third book. And this revolves around a question. Is there a murder our protagonist doesn't remember committing? Or is there a killer she doesn't remember meeting? I don't know the answer. I'm on hold for this at my public library. I hope the hold list moves quicker than I expect it to. This is Stay Awake by Megan Golden. And we have The Rule of Three by E.G. Scott. Um, this is about a group of friends. They are made up of three couples. They meet for a game night and things go very, very wrong. This is The Rule of Three by E.G. Scott. All right, so let's have some fantasy. Um, if you like dragons, then you are probably aware of the Aurelian Cycle series by Rosaria Munda. The third book is out this week. It's Fury Song. Um, the series began with Fireborn a couple of years ago. I have not read this, although I need to. Um, there's so many things I need to read. It's just <laughs> kind of a never-ending thing. Um, but this one is Fury Song. It is Aurelian Cycle Book 3 by Rosaria Munda, and as I said, it is the conclusion to the Aurelian Cycle series. We also have Blood Like Fate, Blood Like Magic, Book 2 by Liselle Sambury. Brooke mentioned Blood Like Magic on the podcast, uh, I think it was last year, and it is a dark YA fantasy with romance. Um, this is one that I have sitting on my iPad along with so many others, but I'm very excited to hear that the second book is out. I think that kind of sometimes spurs me on when I've been kind of procrastinating about reading something. I'm like, oh, you know, look, it's a series and it's continuing to grow. Like you need to, to read it now. So hopefully I will pick up Blood Like Magic. But if you are, as always, more caught up than I am, then you can pick up Blood Like Fate, Blood Like Magic, book two by Lisa L. Sambury. We also have some urban fantasy, Lucifer's War, Carolingian, book one, by Melinda Snodgrass. This is about a police officer who saves a girl from literal monsters. Like we're not talking about, you know, humans who are monsters, but like literal monsters. And this thrusts him into the middle of this magical war. This is Lucifer's War, Carolingian, book one by Melinda Snodgrass. We also have The Monsters We, Defi we Defy. This is by Leslie Penelope. Mika really likes um, some books that this author has written under the name L. Penelope. Um, this one, though, is a heist novel. So our heroine can communicate with spirits, and she now has to gather together a group of kind of comrades to help her pull off a heist that will save her community. This is The Monsters We Defy, and it's by Leslie Penelope. Last up, we have a book that I did not know was coming out until I was preparing for this episode. This is Cake Eater by Alison Dolan. 
This is basically the French Revolution, like, redone in the future. I think the year is 3,000-something. I'm guessing this is more sci-fi than fantasy. And we basically see Marie Antoinette marrying Louis Auguste for a second time in the future and hopefully being able to... I don't know if she's trying to, like, circumvent the revolution or like get away with her life. I don't know. This reminds me a little bit of um, April and Pike's glitter in the sense that like it's Versailles kind of in, in the future. Um, I'm intrigued by this. Fortunately, I was able to be first in line at my public library. So this is sitting here waiting for me um, as I am recording this episode. So I will be reading it very, very soon. Again, it is Cake Eater by Alison Dolan. And that, my friends, is all I have for you today. I hope all of you are, as I said, doing well, reading great books, staying safe, and enjoying summer as it starts to kind of wind down for a lot of people. I know kids are getting ready to go back to school, which is a little bit unbelievable to me. But whatever you're doing, I hope books are keeping you company while you're doing it. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.